0: so please excuse the various background noises, bumps in the night, and other disturbances that you might hear. It's a live reading in New York City, and anything can, and often does, happen. And now, on to this month's reading. We hope you enjoy the following recording, and we thank you for listening.
1: Hello? Hello? Hi there! We're going to start the second half. Oh my god, you've got a beard, uh, I want to introduce the owner of the bar. This, hello, everybody. This is Dennis Wojcik. He's our patron saint. I know about saints. you what? I don't know about saints. Well, he's our patron anyway. Um, and he, we, we are thankful to him for letting us have this space for how many years we've been here. I hear someone in the back talking. Whoa. Shh. Oh. Uh, ha- I'm sorry. You have Detention. <laughs> Anyway, welcome back. Um, As we've said, this is um, Fantastic Fiction at KGB. We've been going on for a very long time, and this has been a lot of fun, and I hope you're having a good time here. There is a newsletter. um, It's basically just a list for this. I mean, specifically for this, you can go to uh, Fantastic Fiction at KGB and get on the newsletter. And as I said, we don't advertise anything, just this. And first of all, Laird Barron's new book is out, except we don't have it here for sale. It's out in two weeks. It's out in two weeks. It's called Swift to Chase. It's a new collection, and it's out from Journalstone, and it looks gorgeous. I mean, I, here, take a picture. And I haven't looked at it yet, so I don't know what stories are in it, but all his stories are wonderful. So, a dozen stories against the backdrops of the Alaskan wilderness, far-future dystopias, and giallo-fueled nightmare vistas. So go out and buy it. In the meantime, if you haven't read his other books, they have Occultation is back there and the Imago Sequence, and you really must buy them because they're fabulous, okay? And uh, yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And while you're here... Please buy a drink, whether it's alcohol or not, because we—they do this—they give us a space for nothing, and all they ask is that we pay our way in drinking, <laughs> one way or the other. And anyway, okay. The writer's friend, the writer's friend. actually, is writer's tears. You know, there's a Scotch called writer's tears. Okay. Laird Barron spent his early years in Alaska, where he raced the Iditarod three times during the early 1990s, and worked in the fishing and construction industries. He's the author of several books, including X's for Eyes, The Imago Sequence, The Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All, and the forthcoming, two weeks, Swift to Chase. His work has also appeared in many magazines and anthologies. Barron currently resides in the Hudson Valley, writing stories about the evil that men do. So please welcome Laird Barron. <laughs>
2: For that introduction, Ellen, and uh, thanks to Ellen and and Matt for having me back. I, I really love being here. This is one of the great, the truly great venues for a writer. To uh, uh, to read at, and thank you all for being here tonight. I was going to talk a little bit about the, um, you know, the, the story I was going to write, or excuse me, the story I was going to read tonight. But I think I'll just uh, just say this much that. Um, it appeared in a small anthology uh, in Canada due to copyright. Uh, it's basically about a franchise character, a very famous franchise character. Uh, yeah. So, you know, if anybody, uh, you know, is an uh, authority is listening, all uh, uh, resemblance to characters uh, living or dead is purely coincidental. But I was really honored to be to be asked to contribute to this. They, they tried to find a wide spectrum of people to, uh, to basically contribute their take on on this wonderful character. And it's, it, it's one of those things where I had a lot of other things going on at the time, but this is a bucket list sort of uh, priority. And for obvious reasons, uh, it probably will never be reprinted during my lifetime. I probably won't be able to ever use this in a collection. so. On top of that, this is a KGB bar, it seems quite apropos, so I'd like to share (laughs) I would like to share with with all you guys, I'd like to share this little story called uh, The Cyclorama. Red light drips, red light spreads, a phantom orchestra plays on, for an instant you are overcome with the sensation you've forgotten something vital. An exquisitely proportioned woman in a string bikini approaches. She waves. You wave back, your first and last mistake of an otherwise brilliant afternoon. (laughs) The blow you never see coming is as heavy as a straight right from a boxer. A dart's red feather protrudes from your breast. Venom trickles straight for your heart. It is rare for you to be taken by surprise, and yet here you are, undone. The woman in the string bikini lowers her weapon. She divides two, now three, now four. Her figures reflect the sun. Her multiples blaze and revolve as a carousel. You stagger, then fall face down into the sand and farther. On the day you were summoned to the Inner Sanctum for promotion, M pours infuriator from a fresh (laughs) bottle. Double O. (laughs) (laughs) Born to kill. Commanded to die well. Our double O's are incredibly precious, eminently expendable resources. Remember, you're a blunt instrument and you'll succeed marvelously. I presume I'm not the first 007, you say, accepting the wine. Cheap. That's how this works, isn't it? I'm filling some unl- unlucky chap's <laughs> boots. The older man frowns. Son, you don't understand. It has always been you. Only you. It shall always be. One sweltering night, Monte Carlo finds you at a Baccarat table playing Chemin de Fer and winning big. You sip... A perfect martini placed in your hand by a lovely girl in a blue dress. You puff a moorland, triple gold band. Spectators contract around your chair. The crowd, breathless with lust, heeds your command of the shoe. Wagers accumulate and crest at significant threat to the financial health of those within the betting circle. Your heart quickens, as it does when you press a performance car to its limit. Or scale a dangerous peak or hear the report of small arms fire at close range, or undress a beautiful woman as guards with submachine guns pace nearby grounds, hunting for intruders for you. (laughs) Terror and ecstasy intertwine and are inseparable. You have always taken your pleasures as they come and casually discard them without a second glance. This is the chief reason among many why the Secret Service values you so dearly. The ability to crystallize your instincts and emotions to pure, cold calculation and exist solely in the moment is a rare gift. You are a lethal thinking animal. SS Command will be sorry to see you go, as eventually you must. Mandatory 45 is the watchword, and it fast approaches. The croupier sits across the table, impassive as death. A debonair industrialist plucks his pencil mustache and confers with a pair of sinister bully boys. An American film actor seethes and smirks. To the actor's left, an icy woman in a daring gown and too many diamonds adjusts her lipstick while watching you covetously. And Dr. Hemlock, inscrutable, behind black glasses. He folds his hands and waits. The rest blur into the cigarette haze. They are unimportant. One or all of them might be enemies. Their names are lost in the clink of ice cubes, the rattle of roulette balls, and soft applause that spreads across the casino the way a breeze shushes through jungle canopy. You glance down at your glass full of blood. How am I I not dead? as the propaganda proclaims it's not a job, it's a lifestyle (laughs) squash and badminton extravagant meals and gambling at five star hotels worsted suits and grenadine ties lush, nubile socialites and silk sheets all expenses paid naturally Sometimes tedium rules, the tedium of excess, of answering to another man's name, of always waiting the precise moment to strike. Waiting to be discovered and unmasked. Sometimes there is violence, torture, mayhem, explosions. You've shot down foreign agents, henchmen, and women. Once you killed a tiger shark near the Great Barrier Reef <laughs> with a Fair Baron Sykes commando knife. you also use that knife to eliminate empty enemy divers of various nationalities (laughs) occasionally there is strangeness once you are dispatched to a town in the south of France a captain in the French intelligence drives you deep into the countryside and like you the captain dresses simply a jacket, work pants, and boots. He is heavy and soft and clinically ruthless. He smokes galwazis and is happy to share them. You both toured Africa and are immediately comfortable with one another. The captain visits a series of wheat fields. Each is defaced by crop circles of varied, albeit invariably bizarre geometric design. More disturbing, three of the farms lost entire coops of chickens. 190 bird carcasses without a mark. Poison? Laboratory tests will determine the answer. The vandalism occurred in the dead of night. Neither the farmers nor their neighbors witnessed anything unusual. You listen closely, observe dispassionately, and conclude these reports to be honest. These people are frightened. The fifth and sixth farms are the the sites of cattle mutilations, As with the massacred poultry, several cows lie slaughtered by unknown means. Random organs have been removed. Everything is done precisely. Whoever the perpetrators are, they expertly covered their tracks. A hired hand claims to have seen unusual lights on the hillside for three nights of the previous week. Planes don't move that way, the farmhand says, clutching a wine bottle. He lies in a heap of dirty straw, and he reeks of manure and vino. Planes don't. Balloons don't, neither. Please tell us weather balloons. They are full of shit. (laughs) He's right, the captain says, as you are pulling away from the scene. We've taken three dozen reports of inexplicable activity in this region since June. Something is happening. Whatever, it's not local. If you called us, you say. Yes. Are you aware of a man named Howard Hemlock? This, this is all for you, Dr. Hemlock says. Your impression of the hospice is of limitless, <clears throat> limitlessness and claustrophobia, a labyrinth of light-streaked darkness. When your strength ret- permits, you are free to wander, wander nowhere. Every passage redoubles upon itself and loops back to your Spartan quarters. Only when guided by nurse <clears throat> Ursula do you arrive at Dr. Hemlock's office. She is the boatman, and these corridors are the river Letha, cursed with forgetting. Nurse Ursula says, good morning, Jimmy. She resembles the woman from the beach, except dressed in a white cap and blouse. Her expression is guileless as she offers you the daily ration of pills and a paper cup of water. On second glance, Ursula isn't the bikini-clad femme fatale. She's shorter, less voluptuous, and no dart gun. Clouds drift through your mind. It is difficult to know if the incident on the beach actually occurred, or if it's a paranoid fantasy, as Dr. Hemlock adamantly maintains at the beginning and end of each session. In either case, you are a different man, removed from your savage youth by a gulf of decades. You were were retired how long ago? The concrete date proves elusive. Your hand trembles it is withered and thickly veined it is the hand of a feeble old man a dead man's hand (sighs) pancreatic cancer alas dr hemlock says his accent changes to suit the mood nine months a year if you give up everything you love if you're lucky cigarette (laughs) (laughs) the doctor produces a black Ronson lighter from his pocket its flame undulates in the lenses of his dark glasses his fingernails are fully sharpened he lights a Morland and inhales deeply he exhales from his nose and grins through the smoke his complete lack of teeth dilutes the menace of the gesture not a (laughs) whit. Nurse Ursula strokes your brow with motherly fondness. Her touch brings you back from the abyss. Ready for your colonic, dear?
1: <laughs>
2: While recovering in Okinawa from a gunshot wound, you shagged a local girl. Ah, It's a lifetime or two ago. She inhabits your memories, though. A pearl diver, lithe and taut and powerful. Naked, but for a harness around your waist and a long, vertigree-stained knife. You dream about making love to her beneath the gunnels of a fishing skiff. The infinite sky curves, hazy and warm. She whispers into your ear. Her name is lost in the crashing surf and the hiss of a westerly wind off the Pacific. Gradually, the the breeze slackens. The skiff drifts in doldrums under a red sun. You are bearded and filthy. You have not eaten in days. Your clothes are ragged. The pearl diver's skeleton slumps at the prow, cradling the bones of an infant. The gold-picked skulls grin with damned idiocy. You return their smiles. The dripping red light spreads. Such a fate befits a man of your peculiar experiences. You have earned everything. The pearl diver's vengeful father agrees. Last time you crossed paths, he wished you into hell and hurled an ornamental spear at your head. His laughter echoes now. A moat floats from the core of the red sun. The The moat expands like an iris of cancer. Scene change. A liveried servant rolls into the room <clears throat> a liveried servant rolls a service card into the room. Bowing, he exits with a few extra francs. you slip into his palm. He may be Sicilian. You've been warned of an assassin from Palermo. His shoulders strain against the staff coat and he moves with the easy grace of a dancer or a killer. The scar over his eye is familiar. Perhaps it's your nerves or. Perhaps you will eliminate him later after a terrible struggle. (laughs) Regardless, you'll casually permit your female companion to sample breakfast first. The viscount's insatiable daughter skewers a melon slice with her fork. We will marry at the Colosseum and honeymoon in the Greek islands. Next spring would be a fine time, don't you agree, James, dear? You regard her supple, her body supple and pale against the satin sheets. You stare at her red mouth. Sweet and inexorable and ravenous, she devours your masculinity, your very essence. You drain into her when she crushes your lips with kisses. Her long hair is blonde as fire in the sunlight streaming through the French doors. Your groin aches. You consider the cold, loveless Walther PPK tucked away in the sock drawer and smile. scene change, dart guns, derringers, garter garrots, poison lip gloss, so many delectable ladies, so many betrayals. Dr. Hemlock says, my word, old chap, you experience serious difficulties with women, don't you? (laughs) Come on, tell us about your mother. Is this a honeymoon evening in a bungalow near the ocean? You can't be certain. A woman sleeps with her back to you, dreaming in dissatisfaction, although she would comforted you and said stress and weariness can undo even the most virile of men. She's more correct than she can imagine. That morning you collapsed in the shower, curled tight under the spray, reliving a sequence of horrors stabbed, beaten, electrocuted, shot, dangled over a pit of acid, trapped inside a rolling car at the frozen controls of a, de- a plane death-spiraling toward a checkerboard countryside. Mm-hmm. Klaxons blared and blared as you tore your own hair and bit your tongue against a cry of anguish. Those episodes, these episodes are common now. The floor creaks, a curtain rustles. You open one eye and reach for the walther under your pillow. A large centipede crawls across the sheets. I wasn't allowed to use a tarantula. (laughs) Blue gloom obscures its markings, but it's not indigenous to this climb. A tropical specimen, unless you miss your guess, it hesitates near your hand. You slowly extend your index finger in a gentle prod, and it strikes. The pain is bright enough to curl your toes. You backhand the centipede into its afterlife and lie for an excruciating time, sweating, panting, and impatient for the venom to have the desired effect, which it does. <laughs> Meanwhile, the shadow behind the curtain slips away, a former KGB assassin who specializes in poisons. His gambling debts and access to exotic animals proves useful time and again. <laughs> He'd raised his eyebrows at your delicate and unduly elaborate request earlier over a secret lunch. However, rubles are rubles, and if a world-renowned spy wishes to risk priapism and death to get his funk on, <laughs> who is he to argue, eh, comrade? Your comrade awakens. Your companion awakens. Oh, James, she says with astonished delight. The Phantom Orchestra plays. Long after curfew, nurse Ursula waltzes into your room. She disrobes by the shine of distant moonlight. Magnificent, holy, unholy, her flesh lavender-sweet rewinds the clock. I can't, you protest, and it's true. You haven't been able to perform in an age. She smiles, and from behind her ripe hip slides a needle and syringe. You are penetrated. The sting reminds you of the obvious, and something deeper, hidden. Tarantula, a wedding dress shredded by bullets, vengeance hot on your tongue. The clouds, damnable moving clouds. They smother everything. Give it a minute, love. Let it work. Nurse Ursula, fabulous, car from Ivory Ursula, is correct. Head thrown back, hairs cascading like a piece of the night sky. She exults in your decrepit body made whole. You are merely along for the ride distracted, disconnected, bedeviled by a persistent sense of unreality. She says, better that I extract it this way, dear. The doctor prefers brute methods. I'm in the mood for tender mercy. It will go easier if you pretend you love me, Jimmy. Over her shoulder swirl the pinprick moon, stars, and a huge blackness, each bit painted for your weeping eyes alone. Command insists upon a battery of semi-annual fitness tests. A technician draws your blood. A doctor administers a physical. An instructor tasks you with an obstacle course. Another records how many bullets you fire into a silhouette in 30 seconds. How do you rate your mental condition, James? An analyst asks you with your feet on a couch, a glass of bourbon balanced on your chest. Of course, you claim to be tip top, You exclaim it, a charade. You smoke 70 cigarettes a day. (laughs) (laughs) You drink excessively. Your reflexes are slowing. Weight sticks to your middle more stubbornly than ever. Your dreams, oh, those dreams, grow worse and worse. And sometimes you mix up your aliases in the field. None of that matters. The truth is what you make it. And the truth is utterly irrelevant. The world hangs in the balance, always a tick or two from burning down. You must be on hand to snuff the fuse. How do you feel, James? Any stress? Any anxiety? You are afraid of certain creatures, conditions, and circumstances. Sharks, crocodiles, piranhas, German accents, heights, (laughs) open sea, men in black, and confined spaces. Your job demands a stiff upper lip, and so you carry on despite a mounting list of anxieties. You have become so adept at disassociation, you unerringly suppress your dreads and regrets and box them tight. Fear rematerializes in dreams when sharks teem overhead. Paralysis is a common element of these nightmares. Wrinkles and flaccidity are two more. James, your analyst isn't here to take your confession. He merely wishes to tick the appropriate boxes on his balance sheet. You light a cigarette and request another touch of bourbon. Yes, that's better. Perhaps your tryst with nurse Ursula sparks a dormant synapse. Memories pierce the fog, a linear sequence for once. You recall the moment, 20, 30, 40 years gone. You first awoke here and and before your identity disintegrated. An interrogation. What an intimidating CV, Dr. Hemlock riffles through an eyes-only folder that does not officially exist, thwarted several nefarious international plots, averted doomsday on multiple occasions, terminated with prejudice, a who's who of 'er ne'er-do-wells. Your world owes you a great debt, sir. Those who deem you a blunt instrument damn with faint praise. You make no move to end the good doctor straps restrain your limbs. You don't cut him with a wry rejoinder because there's a ball gag stuffed into your mouth. (laughs) The chairs are bisected eggs. The chamber is a bisected egg, shiny white in the center, abyssal black, where the wall curves and vanishes. You fear, albeit not deeply, Dr. Hemlock says. Existence is an absurd paradox. All matter is dead and alive. The closer you drift to self-awareness, the more painful your situation becomes. There is no difference between an imaginary construct and what you consider to be material reality. Everything is true and a lie. The strap binding your left wrist loosens. Not enough. We admire you, friend. Rest. Your tenure is concluded. Queen and country will find another watchdog. He'll keep you until you die. Death is impossible. The strap loosens, loosens and gives way. Dr. Hemlock wags his finger. He removes his glasses and that is the end. Except, not the end. You're waking from the dream into the capsule that surrounds you. In retrospect, You might have done well to place more emphasis on the fact that Howard Hemlock always dresses in impeccable black. Black hat, black coat, and dark glasses. The glasses are oversized of a style you can't place. Italian, perhaps? Some esoteric trend of the ultra-rich and infamous? It lends the tall, slender man a cool, alien mien. The material of his tailored clothes also radiate a a weird coldness. Too late, you realize his his attire functions as camouflage in a manner akin to a hunter who dons a ghillie suit. He disappears from public view for weeks and months at a stretch. His reappearance abroad is presaged, if one collates the data, by inexplicable animal deaths, atmospheric anomalies, and reports of unknown flying objects. So you do what you do. You vanquish Hemlock at Baccarat. You terminate his henchman, a Sicilian expert strangler, shag his girl Friday and infiltrate his island lair to wreak havoc. There's a car chase, a foot pursuit, and an exchange of gunfire that solves nothing. (laughs) Your initial punch doesn't unseat the glasses. However, when you chop the edge of your hand across the bridge of his nose, he sighs. The left lens is shattered. Hemlock carefully removes the glasses and regards you. Truly regards you. You've never screamed on the job. It's like this. Hamlock and his security measures can't hold a man of your quality forever. The greatest weakness of a villain is overconfidence, and this weakness is your strength. Evolution and a bit of nurturing have have equipped you to capitalize on this flaw. In the history of secret agents, and despite your erstwhile physical prowess and embarrassingly long list of heroic accomplishments, your foes inevitably underestimate you. Three days of palming the pills Nurse Ursula proffers is sufficient to restore your mental faculties. Oh, you're old and fat and wasted. Nonetheless, your killing edge has returned. You begin to apprehend the reality of your prison. On the third night, When Nurse Ursula slips in to avail herself of your reinvigorated masculinity, you snap her neck and leave the corpse in your place beneath the blankets. Now, you experience a twinge of guilt, but only a twinge. You are in the moment and on the prowl. The labyrinth awaits. Amber disks in the ceiling stretch forward and backward interminably. You glimpse your reflection in a metal wall burnished and smooth as glass pallid, wheezing, clothed in threadbare hospital gown. Your beard is, un- is white and unkempt. Your nails have grown inward upon themselves. And your legs are scrawny as the legs of a pelican. You scuttle onward. <laughs> Nurse Ursula's passkey opens all doors. So you emerge onto a brickwork patio. A path bracketed by tiki torches unravels toward a beach. The ocean churns silver beneath the stars. You fling a torch against the outer wall of the hospice, a quaint thatch and wood construction with yellow painted shutters, and watch flames eat into the facade. The facade crumbles, and it reveals a void. The area around the facade, garden, palm trees, and night sky, all of it cracks and peels and exposes yet more empty darkness untouched by the red flames. The effect is of a mural or a projection screen imploding This would stagger an ordinary man. Discipline overrides madness. Evasion and escape are paramount. You flee on your weak bird legs toward the beach, even as it and the lapping ocean splinter into a million flame-limbed strips of ornate wallpaper and tumble inward into abject nothingness. A force seizes your frail body and drags you laterally at tremendous velocity away from the widening abyss. You come to rest at the threshold of a brightly illuminated office. M pours a glass of infuriator from a fresh bottle and slides it across the desk to a man with his back to the door. Even so, it's easy to determine the well-dressed fellow is much younger. He has some juice in him, some hope in the face of a hopeless task. The man says, I trust I'll uphold the standard, sir. M waves brusquely. You're a blood instrument, my good fellow. Remember that, and you'll succeed marvelously. Flames creep from the floor and lick against your feet, painless at least. The flames rise quickly. Your flesh quakes into ash, yet you remain upright and petrified until the last. Coda. Tucked within a fat, highly classified dossier, a particular surveillance photograph haunts you. Howard Hemlock at the center of a wheat field. He is dressed, as is his custom, in all black, head tilted toward the high altitude spy plane from which the picture was shot, his right foot planted on the lead edge of a circular pattern scorched into the wheat. The unearthly pattern extends for many acres around him. The lenses of his glasses radiate red light, of the Trap Sun. A small, precise inscription on the reverse of the picture reads, It is a mistake to conflate the creator with his creations. And no, Mr. Fleming, I don't expect you to understand. Thank you, guys.
0: Not much you could say after that. That was fantastic. Thank you, Laird, and Alyssa. You were you were great too. Uh, thank you to all. No, I didn't. I swear, I didn't mean it dismissive at all. No, both of other... Okay, thank you. All right, all right. No, no. Let's start over. I had a great great night, and uh, we'll see you. We'll see you next month. I hope you all can uh, can can come next month. All right, thank you. You have been listening to the Fantastic Fiction at KGB podcast, recorded live at the KGB bar. We hope you enjoyed what you heard, and we thank you for listening. We also wish to thank Gordon Linzer for providing the audio, and Rajan Khanna, that's me, for the introduction and farewell. And always, thanks to our many fans of Fantastic Fiction at KGB for supporting us all these years. See you next month.